open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Mark Wong Tower, Mark Wong Tower, this is Albatross 1 3, requesting permission to land. Over. I don't need a computer to tell me how to land a damn airplane. Six. Heads up display, check. Five. Lasers, check. Four. Particle beam, check. Three. Photon bolts, check. Two. Chair control, check. One. Let's do it. Broadcasting from a secret underground location somewhere in Moss Eisley, this is the Docking Bay 77 Podcast. Make yourself comfortable. The show is about to start. Welcome to the Docking Bay 77 podcast. I am your hippie host, Dayton Johnson. And yes, we're traveling back to the late 60s for this episode. And joining me on that time traveling trip, I have, once again, Mike Vermillion. How are you, Mike? I'm doing wonderful, Dayton. How are you? Great. Thank you. Liam Lewis, back again. How are you, Liam? I'm doing groovy, my brother. Thanks for having me back again. Absolutely. And Tim Brown. Welcome back, Tim. Ready to go. Always ready to talk music, right? Yes. All right. So before we get into the actual topic, uh, find us on social media. Uh, let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. We are on Twitter at DockingBase77Pod, on Facebook at DockingBase77Podcast, and email DockingBase77Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love a five-star review. Uh, five-star reviews and ratings get us seen by other people and it helps us out so go ahead and do that five-star rating also if you want to help in other ways you can go to patreon and for as little as one dollar a month you can help offset the cost of the podcast thank you moving on to the topic we are discussing the third and final studio album from the Jimi hendrix experience we are discussing electric ladyland have another lp it's finished, completely finished. It'll be out in about 10 days. So that, yeah. It's called Electric Lady now. Info for LP Jimi Hendrix Electric Lady Line. Title of LP Electric Lady Line. Directed and produced by Jimi Hendrix. Photography, Linda Eastman. Engineers, Gary Kelgren and Eddie Kramer. Recorded at the Record Plant, 321 West 44th Street, New York City. We would like to make an apology for taking so very long to send this, but we have been working very hard indeed, doing shows and recording. 
When that album came out, man, I mean, it just, it just sensed it for him. He was, he was absolutely the man on the scene. Electric Lady Land, I'd say, was, uh, even if you play it now, is well ahead of its time, and it's still valid musically. Beautiful album. I think it's a well-balanced album, and it definitely broke some rules, and it pushed the boundaries way, way out there. I mean, that, that's probably the most experimental album that Jimmy had ever done. Yeah, that whole LP means so much. You know, it wasn't just slopped together. Every little thing that you hear on there means something. You know, it's not no game that we're playing. Well, he still has this charm and grace about his music that people just still adore. And it's just, it's just relentless, man. In the classical sense, I mean, I think he was like a young Mozart. You know, I think that he actually was um, just beginning to sort of uh, express his gift. That's the mark of a true genius. It's someone who creates sort of a generic form all his own. I need him so bad. All right, so I have prepared a little bit of a history, and I mean a little bit of a history on Jimi Hendrix because there actually is a lot to say about him. He was born in Seattle on November 27th, 1942. And he died on September 18th, 1970. Uh, it's actually the 52, excuse me, 52nd anniversary of his death on this day. Uh, he started playing guitar at age 15. He grew up in Tennessee as well as Seattle. Uh, by the time he was 19, he'd been arrested a couple of times for riding around in stolen cars. So the judge gave him a choice, either jail or go in the army. He chose the army. So May 31st, 1961, he enlisted and was put in the 101st Airborne Division. He struggled during basic training. Uh, he was picked on and made fun of, and overall didn't enjoy the atmosphere, which I can understand. Uh, he begged his father to send him his guitar, and while he had time, he would play in the barracks as well as eventually playing gigs uh, around the base. Um, he was given an honorable discharge uh, on June 29th, 1962. He moved to Nashville, Started playing gigs uh, in town uh, and uh, all over the South along the Chitlin circuit. I love the name. Eventually, he would uh, join backing bands for artists Wilson Pickett, Sam Cooke, Ike and Tina Turner, the Isley Brothers, Little Richard, and Curtis Knight and the Squires. He did win first prize at an amateur contest at the Apollo Theater. And uh, during a trip to the UK in 1966, his career started to really take off. He would eventually meet the guys that would join his band, uh, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell. Uh, the band play, played a few shows in and around the UK during this time, as well as during a cream show. Eric Clapton had this to say about the performance. He played just about every style he could, he could think of, and not in a flashy way. I mean, he did a few of his tricks, you know, like playing with his teeth behind his back, but it wasn't trying to upstage. And that was it. He walked off and my life was never the same again. The Jimi Hendrix Experience released their debut album on May 12, 1967. 
The follow-up, Axis Bold and Love, was December 1st of 1967. And this album, The Electric Ladyland, was released on October 16th, 1968. In 1967, he played the Monterey Pop Festival and gave popularity there. In 1969, he headlined Woodstock. And in 1970, the Isle of Wight. At the time of his death, he was the world's highest paid performer. Now, I have a little bit here also from uh, when he performed Sergeant Pepper. This is a quote from Paul McCartney himself, because he was in the st- and he was in the audience for this event. This is great. Jimmy was a sweetie, a very nice guy. I remember him opening at the Seville on sun- Sunday, June 4th, 1967. Uh, and the curtains flew back. And he came walking forward playing Sergeant Pepper and it had only been released on that Thursday. And this was Sunday. So it was like the ultimate compliment. It's still obviously a shining memory for me because I admired him so much. Anyway, he was so accomplished to think that the album had meant so much to him as to actually do it by that Sunday night, three days after its release. I had read this the other day on one of the books I was reading, Randy Newman, the one most people are know, uh, know him for, uh, doing the soundtracks for all the Pixar movies. Now, this is a story. He had actually written a song specifically for Jimi Hendrix to play on. And when he spoke with him, he said he couldn't believe how insecure Jimmy was about his own talent. Another quote I really like, a reporter asked Jimi Hendrix about Crosby, Stills, and Nash, who was gaining fame around 1969 and played music that was pretty much opposite of what he would play. His response was, I've heard them. They're groovy. I love this, uh, these little bit of facts here. Rolling Stone magazine lists all three of his studio albums in the top 100 greatest records of all time. They also labeled him as the sixth greatest artist of all time and the greatest rock guitarist of all time. Now, this is a personal note. I like to imagine a world where uh, Jimi Hendrix didn't die at age 27. Randy Rhodes didn't get into that airplane and die in a stupid accident. And there was a festival where Van Halen, Ozzy Osbourne with Randy Rhodes, and Jimi Hendrix all play a show. Man, the three greatest guitar players of the 20th century all on stage at the same time. That kind of makes me smile. People talking, but they just don't know what's in my heart and why I love you so. I love you, baby, like a minor love gold. Come on, sugar, let the good time roll. Hey! So many people live and make believe They keep a lot of dirt up their sleeves But my little baby isn't the kind of fool All right, enough of me rambling on uh, Tim has, has prepared a little production history on the record. What have you got for us, Tim? A little bit. Yeah, I've got, I got a little information. Um, let's, <laughs> so the album, they started recording around July of 67, uh, and through January of 68, they did that at several studios in the United States and the United Kingdom. And then they, uh, took a little bit of a break and they started up again in April of 68 at the record plant studios in New York which had just been opened. Um, Oddly enough, they did not record this at Electric Lady Studios, which (laughs) Hendrix had opened himself uh, because it it hadn't actually been opened yet as a studio. So that didn't happen until after the album was released. So 
Chaz Chandler was originally the producer. If you look on the album, it says, you know, produced and directed by Jimi Hendrix. Chaz Chandler was originally the producer, but he could not stand <laughs> the perfectionism of Jimi Hendrix. He really didn't think that, you know, songs needed 40 different takes like Jimi did. He was kind of a, you know, let's just get it in the can and move on kind of a producer. Uh, but Jimmy wanted to really, really take his time with this album. They just, they butted heads way too much. And so Chandler left the production and it became, you know, Jimi Hendrix doing everything on it. Bassist Noel Redding also had a lot of issues with the production of this album because he said there were tons of people in the studio. You couldn't move. It was a party, not a session. Uh, <laughs> Hendrix was, he said he would, you know, they'd have to wait on Jimmy to even get to the studio. And he'd always come in with like nine or 10 hangers on. And then other people were just in and out the whole time. He said it was just absolute chaos. There were issues with the, the production of the record. Right. Uh, but it came out amazingly. It was the only double album they did. And it was mixed in stereo. And I didn't realize uh, all the, uh, extra people that came in and played on on songs that that was actually the organ on voodoo child was steve winwood from traffic right. at the time right i didn't and i didn't realize that was him on that on that track yeah it's uh so, there's i know there's a lot of uh a lot of hands a lot of um he liked having a lot of people in there and like if you look at the tracks a lot of different guys like i know mitch mitchell actually does the lead vocals on little miss strange yeah yeah. So yeah, it was, it was definitely an experience, you know, to listen to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He also, they said, Jimmy also did not like the way the album actually came out. Yeah. Jimmy did not like the, the finished product. He thought that the mix ended up being a little bit too bass heavy and sounded very muddy. And that was because they ended up having to mix the album while he was out on the road playing other shows. So he didn't really get the time to focus on it the way he wanted to. And then also when the tracks were sent off for final mastering, the band and the other people involved with the album weren't allowed to be in the mastering sessions. And he had done so many unique things with the sound and a lot of phaser effects on it that the, the, the uh, mastering production, the mastering engineers didn't know what to do with it and he thinks they they really messed up they actually went through one mastering session and he hated the results of that so they sent it back for a second mastering session and finally got something that he was able to to live with but he still wasn't terribly satisfied with the final product and he also didn't like the artwork <laughs> right. is yeah uh, apparently there's a statue in New York City, let me find the, the quote on it. Yeah, I read this too. So there's an Alice in Wonderland sculpture in Central Park that he had a photo by Linda Eastman, future Linda McCartney, right. uh, had taken of him with a bunch of children on this Al Alice in Wonderland sculpture. Well, not, not with him, but he these children on the Wonderland sculpture. And he wanted that to be the album cover. The studio didn't like that. Uh, in the UK, there's a rare version of the album cover that features like 19 naked women. 
Yeah. And he didn't like that either because he felt like this fisheye lens effect that the, the artist had used to capture the picture made the women look terrible. And he's like, you know, some of these are good looking women and I, I felt bad for them. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we just but, have the close, close up of him on the record now. So, yeah, but you know, regardless of the album cover and, and the mastering issues, uh, this is an amazing album and a lot of great tracks on it. It came out the way it came out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's the most commercially successful album as well. Let's dive into uh, our top three tracks. Liam, you get to go first. So uh, what's uh, one of your uh, favorite tracks? Uh, one of my favorite tracks is um, a Rainy Day, Dream Away, and by extension, Still Rain and Still Dreaming. Right, right. Um, okay. I just enjoyed the heck out of that one. Is there anything that st- stands out for you on those? Um, for those, for me, I feel like it captures um, the feel of this album for me. I was uh, pleasantly surprised at uh, Tim's going through the the production experience and revealing that it really was like a party because that was exactly what I had in my head as I was listening to this album. It was like, this doesn't feel recorded. This feels like a bunch of guys, like just Jimi Hendrix inviting his friends over, like, let's all get stoned, play these songs I wrote, (laughs) and have some fun and just enjoy ourselves and, like, enjoy life. Right. And um, so I'm I'm (laughs) laughing that that was actually kind of what happened, despite some people's chagrin at that (laughs) as opposed to a proper recording session um but so i feel like that that's the essence of this album and that's why it um works so well and so i feel like that comes through the strongest in these two songs particularly with the intro to rainy day dream away where it's (laughs) just him and another guy (laughs) puffing on a joint and looking outside be like oh it's raining see I have this theory after listening to this quite a few times that I feel like uh, rainy day, 1983 and still raining is basically um, like a kind of a drug trip. You know, they're getting stoned. They kind of fall asleep during the rain. And then 1983 is what he's dreaming about. And then he kind of wakes up sort of at the end. It's still raining. It's kind of how it felt to me. It's like, I mean, honestly, if you're going to say it all feels like a drug trip, that's pretty much his entire catalog. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, but if you notice that, if you notice uh, throughout the record, way it was put together, there's, there's sections of this record. And to me, that sounds like it was a, it was a story because rainy day and still raining were obviously the same song. They just split. And they put 1983 right between the two of them. So that to me, I was listening. It's like, you know what? 
this kind of feels like a drug trip story. That's what <laughs> that's what it kind of hit with me. So I didn't even think about that order. That makes so much sense. Go ahead, Mike. When I listened to it, which this is the the first time I'd ever listened to the album was per your request before the actual podcast interview. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised as well. But one of the things that with what you guys are talking about is is the disconnection of they recorded in London and then they came to New York and they were also touring in between. And, and so this album and the, the three songs that you guys just mentioned seem to have been maybe recorded in England or the UK. And that's why they have that feel. And then they, they came up with other songs. Like you said, they were jamming and, and stuff in New York when they finally got back onto recording this album. So I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think the three songs are, are, one song just broken up by other great songs in the middle, but it's, right. it's a trip. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a trip. All right, Liam, you know, another song for us. Um, my, another one of my favorite tracks is come on, let the good, good times roll. I just jam the hell out of this song. It yeah. was getting me through my uh, work shifts <laughs> and I was just loving life. Anytime I had this song on, I enjoy um, Crosstown Traffic and it's sort of like rock and roll um, aesthetic. Um, and I enjoy like the blues element to Voodoo Child. But I had to go with Let the Good Times Roll because I feel like it's the perfect melding of the two. It's got the energy, but it's also got the blues element. It it like amps you up, but keeps you mellow at the same time. <laughs> and it was it was just really, really a good track. And I love that sort of like instrumental to lyric call and response thing that you get in like an Eddie Cochran song or uh, Led Zeppelin's Black Dog. Um, OK, OK. I, I just enjoy that in songs. Just makes yeah. me happy. I feel like amps you up, but keeps you mellow is probably the best description of Jimi Hendrix in general. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're that's, right. That's the slogan for Jimi <laughs> Hendrix. It. Yeah. If you want to explain Hendrix to somebody that's never listened to Hendrix. Right. Well, <laughs> actually, that song almost made my list too, uh, Liam. But I decided that since uh, I already had one cover on my list, I wasn't going to put another one. Um, I actually did listen to the original on purpose to compare and uh, the the original is good, but man, he definitely uh, takes the energy up a few steps on his yes. version. But it's really, I agree, very, very good. Very good. Track. I didn't even know it was a cover. Yeah, there's three of them on here. Oh, Ooh. no kidding. Yeah. yeah. Hendrix being Hendrix covering other people's stuff because he's like, man, I love that song. I want to do it. <laughs> I love that he does that, though. Oh, it's so cool. All right. You guys have anything to say about that one? Great I think selection. we already covered it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> All right. Liam, is that your list? Uh, I got one more. All right, um, cool. My absolute favorite song of the entire album has been and will always be all along the watchtower. I know that I should probably have put like one of his originals on here, but I, I physically can't because then there would be no room for this song. Um, I have always adored this version above all the others. Like, I think it really says something when the original is by Bob Dylan. The other version that I have on my iPod is by U2. And I still think that this is the best version. It's just, again, like Hendrix really knows how to pick the best elements of things and blend them together. So like 
uh, again, he didn't know about the U2 one because it didn't exist yet. But like <laughs> looking at the three versions, there's like the hope mixed with melancholy, just sort of quiet, calm before the storm of the Dylan version combined with like the energy and the call to arms of U2 like just blended together perfectly and honestly kind of like U2 has good energy performing it but I feel like Hendrix has the best energy when he goes at a song he just tears apart lyrics when he's leaning into those vocals and so I think it's the ultimate version of this song and the and I think Bob work. Dylan agrees with you Yes, I, I should hope so. Well, he he now uh, when Bob Dylan performs it live, he does Hendrix version of yes. the song. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah. Well, and like I enjoy good harmonica, but I that guitar work is just <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, that's that's my actually my favorite track on the record too, and uh, for all the same reasons you said, and um, I actually have it as a ringtone on my phone. Uh, it's just, I just can't not sing along to this song you know it comes on the radio i turn it up it's on my Jimi hendrix playlist and you know i know it's a cover like we said but still he just he took what was already a good song said i'm gonna i'm gonna rearrange it i'm gonna do this and you know and like like tim alluded to yeah it's it's the best version and even the original songwriter said yeah he did it better (laughs) so i'm gonna do it that way now so it's so good so good well, one of the things I remember reading that Dylan said about it was that he thought Hendrix had this really great knack for picking out something that other people might have thought was kind of minor and not real important about a song and really leaning into that and, and making it a bigger piece of, of the song. And when he did that with All Along the Watchtower, it just took it to another level. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything to say, Mike? So far, you guys are on target. (laughs) Mike's just here to make us feel better about ourselves. That's his job. (laughs) Moral support, Mike. Appreciate Uh, you, buddy. Must be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Businessman there, to drink my wine. Come and dig my earth. Thank you, Liam. I love that we're all rocking long hair, by the way. I just right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> the hippies have returned. Yes. Watch out, conservative again. America. <laughs> we're coming for you. All right. So uh, thank you, Liam. Thank you. One of the tracks I have on mine uh, is uh, Long Hot Summer Night. It's just a fun song. I think it's one of the songs on here that I really kind of felt that 
Hendrix, his voice stood out a little bit more than some of the other ones. Um, it's just a fun song. It rocks. It's it kind of feels a little different than some of the other tracks on the record, but uh, it stuck out to me. Like every time it came on, I just kind of felt myself tapping along, going, "You know what? This one surprised me because this is I'd only been to the album like all the way one other time." Uh, so really digging into this time, uh, it really was like this one kind of stuck out. So this is one of the ones that, uh, and it actually it came down between this one. It was a really hard choice, <laughs> this one, and uh, house burning down. Very uh, very close tie on those. Um, really like that one too. So pretty. Close you know, Dayton, to- it's it's kind of interesting. You you mentioned his vocals on that track uh, because when I was uh, looking through getting my production history for the album he there was a mention about how hendrix was always so really self-conscious and very very shy about singing about doing the lead vocals right that when they were recording he'd have to put up like curtains and sheets around him so that nobody else would be able to watch him while he was singing because he was that self-conscious about it right oh buddy i know right (laughs) like i said because he was so good at it yeah too good for this world he really was so seriously i love that you picked long hot summer night um because you really picked the like perfect time to do this uh episode because like i love listening to this at like the tail end of august because this album and particularly that song is like very much a like that between point but as summer turns into fall gotcha all right yeah i see that all right, another one of my favorite tracks, um, Gypsy Eyes. Wow. This almost took the top spot for me. I I just really love it. It's got a great opening, an awesome groove to it. Uh, you can definitely hear the uh, multiple guitar tracks that were going on throughout this whole song. And um, <laughs> he's just, I don't know, he's just totally jamming. Uh, I did read that they did uh, over 50 takes over the course of three sessions for this song. because yeah, That was the thing yeah. I was going to note was that, was that was one of the things that drove Chaz Chandler out of the production entirely was doing wow. over four dozen takes just to get the bass and the guitar right on this song. And it drove him insane. <laughs> yeah. But it's such a good song. <laughs> I mean, it was worth yeah. the effort as right here. <laughs> right. So, you know what you put in the effort, you great, you know, give us a great song, man. I, this one uh, was another one of the ones that going through um, stuck out again. It surprised me. And um, I don't know. It just really, it really sticks in my head. And I think it's cool. I love the, like I said, his vocals are really good on it. Uh, just really listen to different uh, sections of guitar, the different layers. Uh, he was doing, trying different things. And I, you can hear that all the way through the record. And I especially, especially uh, feel it. It's on this one. So. 
I and we already the discussed drum work was really good on that one too. Well, yeah. And there's a couple other tracks where Mitch Mitchell really stands out too, but for sure. Great song. Great song. And we already talked about my number one, which is all on the watchtower. So <laughs> and now you're you're missing uh uh Liam noted the the three big versions of it. You had Dylan, you had Hendrix, and then you too. We're also forgetting about a fourth version of it, which was the version that they used in the Battlestar, the Battlestar Galactica remake. Yes. And which was oh, awesome. man. you know what? Let's just forget about that one. <laughs> hey, hey, whoa, whoa. We're not to talk bad about that show. Not on hey, my podcast. I'm not talking bad about the show. I'm just talking bad about the version of the song they well, used in the show. Oh, did it suck? Oh, well, it was terrible. Oh, well, you gotta remember. <laughs> that, that's a perfect choice for that show. It, was, it was a universe where you know he didn't exist so you kind of have to do it a little bit either way it doesn't matter no. yeah it was it was definitely not the best of the of the covers of <laughs> man no wonder the robot war came if we didn't right have a world, like like jimmy hendrix is why skynet has not risen to kill all the humans that make terminators we're in the good uh, timeline that's amazing all right <laughs> Mike, why don't we talk about your three favorite favorite tracks? It's man, I hate to be the guy that just goes back to his greatest hits album almost, but you know, Voodoo Child One and Two. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, um, and all along the Watchtower again is probably my my favorite as well with you guys. Um, the thing that I like about Voodoo Child Slight Return is the fact that Jack Cassidy and Steve Winwood did get the chance to come down and play with him while they were in New York. It gives you hints of where Jimmy might've gone because I think he was going to break away from the, the three front band and bring in maybe some, some keyboards and, and Jack Cassidy's bass on it just to me drove that song and it, right. it's a different sound than, than Noel and stuff like that. So, you know, it just, to me, I, I really enjoyed that one a lot. And it, it's, it's, it's easier to say which are your least three favorite songs than your three most favorite songs <laughs> in, on I this album. Agree. And, and it's a double <laughs> album. So it's, it's mind blowing how strong this album was. And, and it probably 68 in the 69, it rivaled a lot of albums that came out and there was some damn good music coming out in that period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very little filler on this album. I feel Yeah. Like. Right. Very yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that was the thing um about voodoo child that i loved particularly like psychedelia is by and large where the guitar solo comes from at least in my mind um but so the thing that i loved about the solo work for all of the instruments particularly in voodoo child is that the solos go long but they never feel self-indulgent every note in that song feels like it needs to be there amen, right. amen. absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. I, there and, uh, are some self-indulgent moments on this album though. That, that I, <laughs> well, I mean, there always is. Like it's yeah. it's rock I mean, like Voodoo Child Part One. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it when I get to my section. Yeah, for oh, okay. sure. Well, actually, I want to mention Voodoo Child real quick because uh the other night I picked up um her daughter from uh, a restaurant. She was out with some friends and and the song just started when I picked her up and I dropped off her friend. We got back to the house and she looked at the radios. Is that the same song? And I said, yes. And she goes, that's 15 minutes. I said, yes. Goes, I don't know how people do that. I said, you're talking about one of the greatest rock guitar players of all time. So they were just jamming. And she goes, 
Okay. And that's when she found out that he was part of the 27 group. And then that was a whole nother rabbit hole. He went down for a few minutes. So <laughs> anyway, if you think that's long, let me introduce you to rush. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here's, mention, here's Pink Floyd animals. There, there's. Yeah. Right. You think that's Agata de Vita is 17 minutes and five seconds. So there you go. How about Alice's restaurant? That's almost 20 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yes. We can keep going, you know. Yeah. But anyway, Y'all I thought that was funny. I right, put together yeah. a four-hour playlist. It's six songs. <laughs> <laughs> so one song, while I kind of was talking about some of these, that really throws me at the curveball is "Little Miss Strange." Another cover. I love that one, though. Um, and it, it takes me back to Strawberry Alarm Clock. Okay, right. You know, it's just got that, like, maybe he was listening to some music and that came about. Um, I do know that he opened for the Monkees for a little bit. And I, I almost hear a little bit like the Monkees could pull this song off kind of thing. And I'm wondering <laughs> right. if that didn't influence it. But that's probably, to me, the, the, the weakest track on here for for me it just didn't mix with the rest of the album very well yeah it definitely doesn't um, sound like the rest of the record for sure i, no, I literally no. have yeah. that in my notes it i did not expect a song with no hendrick vocals on it like right it, it literally says like it sounds like the beatles like just threw a track in here yeah i was <laughs> thinking like the trogs or somebody else from that era <laughs> yes. that was yeah. More, yeah. more of like a pop kind of band um, yeah. my impressions on it the notes i had on it were that it is the least hendrix sounding song on a hendrix album right amen and it's yeah it does and it's i won't say it's missing this like it lacks something but it doesn't have the same feel as anything else on the album it doesn't have that hendrix slink to it right you know there's there's kind of this kind of very you know there's kind of a very (laughs) sway kind of motion even on his up-tempo tracks that just isn't there on this one right okay i see that i see that yeah, i still I, kept saying i, I still kept singing along to it but <laughs> that's just oh me. yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's i enjoy a fun it too song. but like but i no, enjoy you, it too but it feels very like like this is too white to be on hendrix album <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah you know you the dogs, i it. said strawberry alarm clock it, it's kind of got that bubblegum pop yeah flavor. yes yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and maybe he wanted to go there just to see if he could pull it off. Who knows? You know, that, right. that was Jimmy. I think he pulled it off fine. It just, it, well, it something is I read about it was that he did, he liked that song and there were enough other problems with the production and the recording of this. And, and, you know, Mitch and Noel were getting very frustrated as well. I, they, I think they said he kind of threw this song to them, kind of like, you know, throwing them a bone. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right, Mike, is that your whole list or do you have something that, else? That covers where I'm at. I mean, my contribution was, you know, it's it's a stellar album, but again, the, the Voodoo Childs and, and, and All Along the Watchtower are my three tops. All right. All right. Tim, you're up. What you got for us? 
Well, I'm kind of going to dovetail off of Mike there and go with uh, the first Voodoo Child, not Slight Return. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with with the second one. Um, And I can can show uh, my my media intake uh, from the mid-late 90s through about the early 2000s. I watched way, way too much uh, pro wrestling, WWE. (laughs) And so I can't hear the intro to Slight Return without seeing Hulk Hogan walk down the ramp. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) Yeah. But but, uh, the first part, Voodoo Child, I really like uh, that it has that kind of smoky barroom... a bunch of guys have all come in after playing other gigs the rest of the night and decided, you know what, we're just going to close out the night here and everybody's just going to jam. Yeah. And everybody's going to go on a go off on a three or four minute tangent on their own. And we're all just going to play our asses off on it. And they sure as hell did, man. They did. It also kind of feels like Hendrix is singing about himself. Like, I think I read a thing where like, come together was like john talking about himself and the way he like viewed himself i don't know if i'm correct in that but i feel like i read a thing but that's um that's the feeling i got with voodoo child is that he's like talking about himself and the way he feels with this i agree with that i think it's a little bit of a self yeah but you know biographical yeah yeah makes sense makes sense Great song, man. Yeah, uh, I love it. Everybody love shines it. on this one. Everybody that plays shines for sure. It's mm-hmm. and and uh I don't care that it's 15 minutes, it doesn't feel 15 minutes. Like I never yeah. once go, okay, just get to the end. You know, I, I don't skip it. You know what I mean? I just don't. No, absolutely not. Like as a joke, I do have written in um just because I happen to be looking at the time code. LOL after that big drum roll, and you still have four minutes to go. <laughs> right. but, like, like not in a bad way though. Not, yeah. Like I wasn't upset about it. I enjoy every second of that song. I don't look at the clock. I just happened to be looking at it at the time. Um, no, so. actually, I noticed. I noticed that too, <laughs> Liam. So they're not the only one. Because I, first time I hear it, I'm like going. First time really listening to it, I was like, "Oh, here's the end," and then it's not. I'm like, "Oh, cool. There's still four minutes left. All right." Yeah, like you're happy that you get four more minutes. Of this right? song. All right, Tim. What else you got for us? Uh, well, it was kind of a toss up for me between, uh, the big singles all along the watchtower and crosstown traffic. Uh, I, I did read a fun traffic. note about crosstown traffic though, where, uh, they said Hendrix made a makeshift kazoo during the recording of it. He grabbed a, a piece of cellophane and a comb and you can hear it. Oh he's like going, he's like mimicking the guitar line and mixes in a little bit of this homemade kazoo he made just in the studio because he was hearing something in his head and it wasn't quite coming through in the guitar track so he's like i'm gonna add this and give me <laughs> that comb because i'm jimmy <laughs> hendrix and i can do whatever give me that comb
right? I oh my god! Zoo sound. I I do yeah. know exactly ah. what you're talking about. Yeah, me too. I, I yeah. hear it right now. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's just amazing. That's I amazing. love it. I thought uh, no, it was distorted backup vocals that he did, like some kind of uh, studio trick with the backup singers, maybe distorting out or something. But it, <laughs> homemade kazoo, kazoo. Is, yeah, yeah. No, homemade kazoo. <laughs> God, I when love you're... the snark in that song too. Like when you like stop jamming and listen to the lyrics, like he's really talking smack, saying like <laughs> so hard to get through to you, and I got better things to do on the other side of town. Nice. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, what else? Is that uh, it? Well, I've got an oddball pick for you. Nobody else has Sweet. mentioned this track. I'm I'm uh, ready. I'm ready. And yeah. I'm going with it. Not for not for the the uh jam along, you know, pump your fist in the air, sing along at the top of your lungs in the car or anything, but uh just the audacity to tell this to your mixing engineer. Moon, turn the tides gently, gently away. <laughs> I mean, you got to think you're sitting there as an, uh, an, a recording engineer and here comes Jimi Hendrix and he's saying, all right, man, I got this kind of synthy noise thing kind of with a tape echoey effect. What I want you to do is I want you to fade it up and down for about 30, 40 seconds. <laughs> okay. Okay, Jim, I get that. All right. That's fine. We can do that. And then what are we going to do? Nothing. That's yeah. the whole song. Well, now i gotta be honest it's, it sounds it's i mean it's very cool i'm and i heard it and i'm like wait did i wait it that's another song. okay so i listened to it again and it sounds so much like the opening well i don't really call it a track but it, i mean and uh and the gods made love they're they're it's like the same thing he just renamed you know it's a little bit yeah. different but they're very they're like you know, they're sister pieces. You well, know, and the one gods here, made love. Here. It's got more. It's that. I and the gods made love is a little more ominous sounding because it's got yes. that big, oh, you know, that big True. bass note that comes in. But this yeah. one, I mean, it is just echoey noise for about a minute, and we're done. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like all right, that's it. All right, we we were talking about those some of those self indulgent moments. That there it is. <laughs> I respect the hell out of that though. Like, that and and the gods made love. I was like, uh, did I put on a Pink Floyd album by mistake? <laughs> like, what's happening? I do want to mention, like said before, uh, house burning down. It's uh it's another one that you know hadn't listened to a lot until I got to do this podcast. And um, it's one of the few, I mean, one, it's definitely one of the few songs on this record where there's some social commentary um, and laced in the lyrics and you don't really catch it at first, but then you start realizing, you know, because what it sounds like to me is like, he's asking, you know, why are you like, you know, especially in a, in a black neighborhood, why are you burning down the houses of your neighbors? Why are you, you know, rioting in your, in your neighbor's town? That's, you know, that, that's kind of stupid. You know, you're, you know, why are you burning down other people's houses that, it's it's like the only time he really on this record gets uh social you know has a social commentary or whatever it has anything to say um but it's a great song i, I dig the track a lot it like i said it almost made my list but i definitely wanted to mention uh people give it a chance to listen to that for sure i loved house burning down and i like listening to the whole album i love how it kind of marries with all along the watchtower by preceding it yeah um him like sort of like a call to action but like in this softer kind of like like make make love not war 
because that is the slogan. But I love that idea, like you said, Dayton, of like, you know, what? Why do you have to destroy when when you're trying to send a message? Why do you have to raise destruction instead of helping your brothers and sisters? Right. Sounds good. All right. So, uh, Mike, um, overall opinions of this record, you know, just in general. Again, it's a bold move back in the day to release a double album. Right. Um, it, it still hadn't became common, um, but it deserves to be a double album. You you could maybe pull one or two tracks out, but all in all, I think the album stands well as a double album and it deserves to be put out there. I, it, and again, you know, Rolling Stone loved it. Um, they loved Jimmy. Not at first. No, the critics, yeah, the critics didn't know what to make of it at first, but later it's, it definitely made uh, people real. It's like, yeah, he, yeah. Was ahead of the, he was ahead of the curve, you know, let's just okay. be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I, again, it's five tracks are on his greatest hits album off his album. If, if you ask me, Cross Town Traffic, Gypsy Eyes, Voodoo Child, Voodoo Child, Slight Return, and All Along the Watchtower. If you, if those are five songs that somebody said, show me five songs that explains Jimi Hendrix. Okay, I've got five songs off this album that does it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, and if you think about the time period, you know, late '60s, we're coming out of kind of that surf music, '60s pop kind of bubblegum music period into this more mature album-oriented rock era. Right. And, you know, before this point, well, I mean, maybe not this album specifically, but before this era, I'd have to go back and do some research to make sure I'm, I'm giving you straight facts on this, but I don't recall a lot of other bands doing double albums. And even then it was more like just a compilation of stuff. And up to this point, really, you know, before like the Beatles and all that, albums were were essentially just compilations they were just singles that had been recorded over a period of time and then they said oh we've got enough to do a full-length lp now and we'll release them all but nobody was really thinking about albums as contained units of of music you know what i mean right yeah. yeah. And then, you know, then you go into, you know, Sergeant Peppers and, yeah. and then stuff like this, where it really was growing into the album being a statement on its own. Right. Uh, right. Sort yeah. of laying the groundwork for the album being like a method of storytelling. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Cause uh, we were, uh, cause uh, if you look, if you listen to, um guitar and specifically but uh i mean obviously hendrix is known for uh using feedback and you know cranking up the gain and you know distortion whatever long before other people were doing it um because you know after you get after you have hendrix you get led zeppelin who you know who embraced a lot of what he did the who their sound changed you know after hendrix i mean he had such an impact and this record too i mean he was i'm gonna try this i want to try this and this this record's 74 minutes long, you know, and yeah, I don't, I mean, apart from the little, the silly things, the self-indulgent st- indulgent stuff, there's not much to take out of here to make it a, a, you know, just a single LP. I mean, there's like, like Tim said earlier, there's no filler on this record. So what do you cut? It's, it, it's right. 
you're getting your money's worth on this one for sure. Yeah. And I think Hendrix as, as such an innovator with sound and recording, uh, he really took music and guitar to such a higher level than what it had been because you had great guitar players around this time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was also the same era as, as cream and Eric Clapton. Right. But Clapton didn't change the way the instrument and the gear was looked at. He didn't take that to a new level. He took what existed and he played it really, really well, but he didn't, you know, create the distortion and the phaser and, and the, the big fuzz box. And right. nobody had really done that before Hendrix. And then after Hendrix, everybody did what Hendrix was doing. It's kind of the same way with uh, my hero, Eddie, Right. You know, before Eddie, people didn't think about taking a Stratocaster body and putting a humbucking pickup in it. Right. That seems like something so inconsequential now. But at the time, it was like, what? What? Why would you even think? What? <laughs> Why are you doing you, Dr. Frankenstein, all of a sudden? What is right, this? right. Right. And then, you know, the these, um, innovation with amplifiers and tremolo arms and all of that stuff. You know, Eddie kind of changed the game with that. Hendrix did it, you know, 10, 20 years before that. Right. And I mean, the sound changed. People didn't know what to make of Hendrix when the, he started playing. They were like, what is that noise? I don't understand this. But then, you know, the, the youth and, and the people in the know were like, oh, this is a game changer. This yep. is big. I, there's a, a quick movie reference I want to make, Men in Black, and how like certain celebrities were uh secret aliens on the planet and <laughs> right. I, would, I would like to believe that Jimi hendrix was a secret alien on the planet and went back to his home planet and the whole 27 club was just a cover-up for his absence but he came he experienced earth and he went back home to wherever it is he came from and it's a, yeah. a home world with incredible music hell <laughs> right. yeah it is right <laughs> i hendrix i feel like was the starting point of examining storytelling process and just anything that could be done with a guitar he was the one who started pushing the limit limits and really defining what it meant to be a musician and to be like a guitar player and i yeah. feel like that's that's what sets him apart is he was always pushing the envelope and always trying yeah, to be yeah that that's it. pushing the envelope trying to find some unique way of getting that sound that's in your head out into the world right yeah it still just blows me away that you know the hendrix we know music wise it was just four years four years is such a short amount of time four years to do what he did <laughs> and how much he changed everything so like I said, I hadn't listened to this record all the way through very much. Uh, I can say, in all honesty, I love how this record is put together because um, that matters. Because sometimes you're like, why is this song here and not someplace else? Uh, I love the fact that it starts off, you have the you know the weird opening, but you have kind of a mellow song to start. You know, Have you ever been to Electric Ladyland? It's kind of mellow. And then you're like, but here's Crosstown Traffic. Here's the, here's the heavy stuff. And it's like, okay, it wakes you back up. Then you got a nice long jam you know what i mean and then you're like okay cool so it's just the way they put things together like like i said before there's sections that's literally in my notes uh right? for crosstown traffic is just when you're about to fall asleep from electric ladyland 
uh, Hendrix starts wailing and you're awake now, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's like, you know, um, with Little Miss Strange and Long Hot Summer Night, it's like that whole, you know, there's four songs in a row. They're nice rockers. And then you kind of mellow it out a little bit, get psychedelic with burning uh, of the midnight lamp. And then you come back and then you have the drug trip of rainy day in 1983 um, and still raining. And then you just close it out with three rockers. You know, you have house burning down all along the watchtower and voodoo child slight return. It just, in some ways it starts off kind of, you know, pretty good. And it goes, it, it goes up and down, you know, it never gets boring. And then it just ends on three great songs. It's just, it's put together so well and it gets better every time i listen to it <laughs> it's like Speaking a really of, good roller coaster that you go back to the same park to ride over and over again exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly i was uh just thinking about another note i read about uh voodoo child slight return is that abc television was actually in the studio at one point with them shooting some documentary footage for a special they were going to do i think for the album release and somehow this footage got lost and it was never aired, but they kind of documented the recording of Slight Return <laughs> because they wanted some footage of Jimmy recording a track from start to finish. And he taught the band that song in about three takes and then they recorded it. Oh, geez. While the cameras were rolling. Wow. That sounds about right, though, really. I mean, that's why it, it hit my top three and, and probably my favorite is, again, Steve Winwood just so melted with Jimmy on the keyboards. And, again, Jack Cassidy's bass was just driving this song, and it leaves you wanting more um, yeah. when it's done. You know, it, it and that's it finishes the album, and you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to flip it over and start all over again and listen to it a second time. You know? <laughs> yeah. I love how they, in both uh, Voodoo Child and Voodoo Slight Return, like the, from mellow on the verse to hard on the um, chorus, like they make that, everybody on the track is making that turn on a dime and perfectly in sync. Yep. yep. Like, mm-hmm. I, I agree with Mike. I'm not surprised that that, um recording process that you brought up tim like that talk about catching lightning in a bottle yeah yeah and it is a damn shame that that footage got lost i know i want to see it good god yeah well maybe in another 20 years um they'll figure something (laughs) out somebody will find uh, it in a vault somewhere it'll it'll be the like 20 years from now it'll be the next like uh get back on disney plus (laughs) There you uh, go. <laughs> that would be great. That would be so good. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We're going to give us a rating and there's only one right answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> your choices are never again, stream it, buy it used, buy it new or vinyl worthy. So Liam, what rating are you giving it, sir? Uh, it is 100% vinyl worthy. That's the correct but, answer. <laughs> but honest, honestly, <laughs> Buy it, use, stream it, buy it, use, buy it new, vinyl worthy. I don't care how you do it. Like, get it on vinyl eventually because <laughs> you need to. But however you can how, get to it, get to it. I don't care it. how you get a hold of it, but get there because it's one of the best albums I've ever heard in my life. All right, Mike. I agree with Liam. I, you know, it, it's, it's buy it in any means necessary. 
Um, you know, I have it downloaded to my iPhone. Unfortunately, I'm streaming it that way, but I can listen to it when I'm riding my bike. Right. Um, I'm going to buy the vinyl when I get a nice turntable set up. So it's vinyl worthy. And vinyl is very hard to listen to when you're riding a bike. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, yes. You know, so Unless you've got a really long headphone cord. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to spend 15 or $20 three or four times to have this in its various states with vinyl, <laughs> iTunes. You know, I'm, I'm okay with spending $45 to have three versions of the same album so that I can take it with me in the car. I can listen to it on my bike. I can sit back and... Uh, now know, I'm thinking of another Men in Black reference where he goes, I'm going to have to buy the white album again. Album right? Again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Tim. Yeah, I mean, what else has been said that I need to say? It's vinyl worthy. Absolutely. And I have mine right here. And it's and it's beautiful. Oh. Anyway. All right. I'm jealous. I gotta get me a vinyl copy. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Well, thank you guys for joining me for this wonderful episode. Um, thank you, Liam. Thank you, my sir. And Mike, where can people find you to uh, ask for your design services? Imagine Design Ohio uh, on Facebook is the best place to get all of me. And Tim, last time I talked to you, you said you were possibly uh, having some music ready for us sometime soon. You've been working on that. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, it's it's a slow process with me, uh, as, as most things are, but I'm working <laughs> on some stuff. And uh, you can always go check out my videos on YouTube. Remember to search for Timothy E. Brown. Right. I, I've searched for just Tim Brown and, and a lot of football stuff comes up, which isn't me. And <laughs> Timothy Brown pulls up some other people who are also not me. So Timothy E. Brown, you got to look for. Or you can also just go to my website, Timothy-E-Brown.com. All right. Very cool. All right. Thank you, listeners, for stopping by and listen to what uh, a group of nuts have to say about this great record. Uh, get on Facebook, Twitter, emails. Tell us what you think about this album. Uh, give it a nice listen. Uh, is it vinyl worthy? Yes, it is. Uh, tell us what you think, what your favorite tracks are. Let us know. Come back by on uh, this coming Wednesday. Our next episode drops. Uh, we are comparing the debut record for Megadeth, Killing Is My Business, versus Metallica's debut album, Kill Em All. That's going to be a lot of fun. If you're in the Cincinnati area at the beginning of October, uh, stop by Sin City Con October 7th, 8th, and 9th. It's uh, three days of a lot of board games. It's a lot of fun. Come by and play a board game with me. Do yourself a favor, listen to more music. And when it comes to listening to that music, physical media is better than streaming. The Ducky Bay 77 podcast is produced and edited by Dayton Johnson, recorded with Rode Pod mics, the Zoom Pod Track P4, and edited on Audacity. Opening music provided by Eric Jason Brock. You can find him on YouTube and Bandcamp. Thank you for listening. Yeah.